Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Switch Statement Podcast. It's a podcast for investigations into miscellaneous tech topics. This is our seventh episode in our series on Masters of Doom by David Kushner. Hey, John. How's it going? Hi, Matt. Happy holidays. Thank you. Yeah. uh, Happy holidays to you as well. And happy Um, holidays to all the listeners. Yeah. And uh, yeah, get, get your New Year's resolutions in order. You have to lock lock those lock those down. Yep. No, I I don't believe in New Year's resolutions. If you have if you can come up with a resolution, you should start doing it immediately that instant. Absolutely. Yeah, you shouldn't be dependent on waiting for the new year in order to turn your life around. I think it just maximizes the likelihood. You put too much pressure on yourself to achieve it, and if you slip at all, then you're like, well, I guess I'll start next year. Yeah. <laughs> like, Not no, only that. Start but yeah. I think you also like release pressure at the end of the year. Let's say you make a resolution to eat healthy in the new year. My guess would be that your December is going to be a very unhealthy month. And yeah. then January I mean, isn't, isn't actually going to be that healthy. Well, because you're already giving yourself credit for how healthy you're going to be at the beginning of the year. Exactly. And then you're like, yeah. I'm going to eat all, times, all types of shit. I'm going to be so good. <laughs> yeah, I got to have the last hurrah. I need to like eat cheesecakes. Yeah, I guess that's the other side. It's like, oh, like I'm not going to be able to eat anything. So I got to really hunker down. It's, yeah. a bad, it's a bad way to think about it. Exactly. But what are the resolutions for for our friends here at id Software? More death cams. Oh, gross. Yeah, death cams. Although it's funny because I guess death cams is kind of like a big thing in yeah. video games now, especially multiplayer games. Yet another massive, massive video game innovation that it sounds like it either came up with or were one of the pioneers of. Yeah, no. And and I didn't, like, did they have a death cam in Doom? Not that I remember. I don't remember death cams in Doom or Quake. I mean, Quake, Quake had the thing where when you died, your camera was just sort of like on the ground and you could sort of see enemies scuttling around. <laughs> Yeah, um, which that, I was, don't... that was kind of cool. Yeah, that was awesome. I mean, it definitely gave a sense of like, wow, I'm dead, I'm like a corpse on the ground, and I'm like looking through my dead eyes. So it was very immersive. Uh, I don't recall Doom having that, though. I feel like Doom, the screen just kind of goes red and you start over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so they're now in Dallas. And um, one of the big things they do here is they decide that like they're all just a bunch of man children who can't run a business so they need which an adult true. in the room which yeah. definitely is true they come go to a business meeting like apparently like unshowered essentially um, <laughs> yeah they had to really I, drive the point home yeah I, they probably he, he probably uh, built up how ragged they looked but he said he they had like holes in their shirts and stuff like that <laughs> they looked like street hobos but um but no uh but so they they look to jay and apparently their star is so bright at this point that they can say, all right, Jay, for 5% of our company, will you move you and your family and come to Dallas and work for us? And he said, yes. So this is kind yeah. of what I was teasing or what I was alluding to um, in, the, in the last episode. But uh, Not a bad deal like, for Jay. I mean, yeah, I mean, it turned out, but it's like, 
you really have to have achieved something if like for 5% of your company, like what do you, like math chops, like what do you think we could do with 5% math chops? Yeah, we certainly could not attract Sundar away from Google. Um, we might be you able to get some like... we could attract anyone away, like any of our former coworkers? Maybe like a college student from like a C tier uh, university just coming off. <laughs> not to okay. uh, denigrate C tier universities, which I went to one, so... Uh... <laughs> um, yeah, but you're saying we could get them to like quit their... Uh, their studies. No, they would still finish. They would get their diploma and then they would come work for Math Chops for both a salary and 5% of the company. Unacceptable. I need them <laughs> to quit right now. Um, yeah. I think that would probably be, be bad though, right? Like I would have a, a, like a partial C-tier college-educated uh, student. But see, this is the thing. It's like the university doesn't, you know, this could be a John Carmack. Because that's like yeah. that's apparently what John Carmack was doing, and he left early. Right. And it's like if if because I'm kind of I'm kind of saying that this person would be a better programmer if they went through all of their uh, college s- studies than if they just came to work for us. And I'm not sure that that would be true because I feel like there's just so much real world knowledge that they would get from. I also think a lot of what people are capable of only really comes out when people put faith in them. Mm. And I think, you know, if we just put our full, uh, like if we just fully invested in some college kid, we might be able to like have them realize their full, full potential because they would just be so filled with the spirit. Wow, I'm really attached to this kind of nameless, faceless college student. (laughs) I know, me too. We don't have. This Um, is like a real lesson, though. Uh, One thing that I just want to get in before I forget, and you bring up Math Chops, too, so that made me think of this, but this is a real lesson for anyone starting a business. Like, you can be the most skilled programmers, designers, video game creators in the world, but you still need to be able to identify the weakness in your own business and fill the gap. And I think that's, you know, I was actually pretty impressed with id that they realized like, Hey, we need a suit. Like we are just not capable or competent at this sort of thing. And cause it's a form of humility at the end of the day, you're basically saying like, you're not, you're not able to handle this task. And so we need to bring in someone to do it. Um, and I think it's actually kind of an important lesson in business. Like, you need to be real with yourself. Realize that you lack certain capabilities and find people who have those capabilities. And this is the thing. It's like, the, it's the problem of evaluating a skill that you yourself lack. Yes. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, which is and very difficult. The thing that always, that always I want to I have some semblance of, a, of certainty. And I think you can't when you're hiring someone. It's like, you just have to, there's a part where you just have to have like a leap of faith. You have to just yeah. like, say like, well, I know that I get into this circumstance and I don't know what to do. So I need to come up with some evaluation criteria and then move forward, like find a person who meets that criteria and then move forward because yeah. being paralyzed by like not being sure that this person's the right person is worse. Like, it, you know, and then just not doing anything about it because of that is exactly. worse than potentially picking a, a bad person. And, and this is why you should get into it 
an occupation that's extremely hard to evaluate <laughs> uh, because then you'll make a lot of money. I think this is why CEOs make so much money is like no one really knows what they do. And so they can't put a real money value on it. So they just pay them <laughs> exorbitant I sums. I was thinking about this. It's like um, executive compensation is like a really hard thing to reason about. And I think it's like, I think in any, when you construct any system, you're going to have these like weird, like, wrinkles to it and i think in capitalism like executive compensation is one of those weird wrinkles that just like it starts to get strange and then like there's no real good mechanism to like correct it yeah exactly it's it's like a athlete compensation where you have a system that has so much money in it so there's all this kind of extra money lying around and the system sort of doesn't know where to put it. <laughs> and so it just gives a bunch of it to like CEOs. Well, you have, you know, I, I, I think, I don't know if I referenced Nortel on the podcast, but I watched this long like documentary about Nortel, which is this Canadian telecommunications company. And you had like the CEO who was, you know, when the, the company went, went on to go bankrupt and then he was requesting like a billion dollars from <laughs> the company. Yeah. And it's like, how do you want, like, is that just like this guy trying to like come up with the biggest number he can imagine and then asking for that? Or is there some lens, like rational lens where someone is owed a billion dollars from a bankrupted company when you have all of the employees with their pensions? Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It sounds like narcissism to me, but yeah. Um, but anyway, back to, back to the book. Um, yeah. So they got, they nabbed Jay. And so now he's he's right. Not I wouldn't say writing the ship, but he's uh, you know kind of pulling pulling things into better shape, balancing their checkbooks. Yeah, yeah. One of the things, uh, yeah, this is a slight change of topic, but one of the things I think this book does super well is sort of capture the vibe of the '90s. It's kind of like what Stranger Things did with the '80s, where everything about or there's so many little details thrown into the book that is kind of a little nostalgia bomb. And the thing mm. from this chapter was recording goofy answering machine messages. Yeah. <laughs> they talk about one of the first things they did when they got into their uh, Texas apartment is they were like recording some crazy answering machine message. And I just remember like spending, you know, hours with my family or friends just trying to come up with like goofy answering machine things. Cause there was like this period where that was the, that was the thing. Like you had to have a weird answering machine message. Do we have, do we have something like that these days? Like, I feel like when in the aim era, I don't know if you like this, you saw this, you could have this, you had this little like text box where you could put like up to 5,000 characters for your profile. Those got crazy. I remember spending a tremendous amount of time really curating this little text box. I think you could set, there was like rich, I think it was rich text. So you could like set the background color, what have you. <laughs> like and this is how people know you're who you are. You have to yeah, define your whole person in this 5,000 like text box. MySpace page. But yeah. do they have, like, I guess, you know, you have your own website that, that could be, but I feel like there's not that same thing. I feel like you don't really have that as much where you have like a true blank canvas. Yeah. You're like squished into this like Instagram thing and you can post content, but it's not really the same thing as like having a profile. Like, you know, you when you have an answering machine, this is like 30 seconds yeah. where you can just 
that that's you're defining as you. Uh, yeah, it's it's both a it's like a literal and figurative bandwidth constraint where you have to take all of your expressive power and put it into this, you know, little tiny artifact. Whereas today it's like you can literally put your whole life online and yeah. a lot of people do. And there's just there's zero bandwidth constraint. You can you know, you can either like pretend you're someone you're not or you can show everyone the gritty details of your life. But yeah, back right. in the day, if if you wanted to let people know who you were, it was through a goofy answering machine message. Nice. Yeah, wh- I don't know. What was your, what did you guys wind up with? Uh, did you have any good ones? You know, the Bedard family was not very creative. I do remember, so one of my best friends, uh, his last name is Sturgeon, which is a prehistoric fish. Mm. And I remember their message talking about how they were the fish family. And they did it <laughs> in like funny. a very kind of, uh, you know, they weren't like, they weren't, you know, being fun about it at all. They were just like very matter of factly, like, we are the fish family. Please leave a message. <laughs> it was great. That's funny because I feel like that would, I would, that would just be more confusing. And in a way, I mean, maybe that was what they were intending. Like, if someone was, if someone didn't know that they were the sturgeon or like that they had this funny message, they might be like, oh, called the wrong number. Yeah. No, I think it was. Because everyone knew that, you know, the quote unquote fish family were, were them. Um, but it was sort of like a security through obscurity type of thing. Yeah, 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 exactly. One of the things they mentioned in this chapter, we already talked about the deaf cam, which is a hugely pioneering move. They also talk about the very, very beginnings of mod culture, which oh. I thought was a, an amazing mention because to this day, mod culture for quake and doom is alive and well like there are many many people who speed run quake and doom play mods uh there's new mods coming out today that are like amazing and people Mm. you know pouring their heart and soul out into them and basically creating all new games based on the quake engine that are beautiful and have new graphics and updated textures and things like that so i just thought it was like I feel like that's something id did incredibly well like they have those wad files that you can basically just edit and kind of change the game completely uh and I think it was just a great move on their part and really turned out well to sort of keep the game alive the idea of building of like building a like designing for mods or like designing for extensibility is a very interesting one it just feels like every piece of software I've ever built, like user input is so like constrained. It's like, okay, you have these like seven buttons that you can push and that's it. But it's like, as soon as you open up, it's like, okay, like here's, here's a big port where you can just like cram code, (laughs) like go, go wild. Yeah. And I wonder if it's like, cause this is an amazing point you're bringing up. And I wonder if it has to do with the dynamic of their team where, you know, John Romero, who did a lot of the design and probably configuration of the game. For instance, how much damage does a shotgun deal? You know, I, I'm sure John Romero spent a ton of time working on that number. And I think that when you have a team like that, where the designer is sort of like constantly modifying the game and wants these like, you know, tools to basically build the game himself. And also the team is creating those tools, you know, from scratch. I think that you end up with a game where 
you know, the game itself is kind of a reflection of the configuration. Whereas yeah. everything, you know, as opposed to sort of everything being compiled into the game and, you know, you don't have a lot of bells and whistles, or I should say knobs to turn to like manipulate the gameplay. I, I think that because of the dynamic of their team, they sort of came up with a different model where, you know, John Romero could go in and tweak the shotgun damage and maybe the timings and all sorts of different values at any point in time. I mean, I guess I guess we see that with like Brain Explorer. So we have an app that is is for uh, doing brain experiments, basically on the general populace. Populace, yeah. um, and you know, it, it, this isn't our this isn't our idea for for the record. It was built in collaboration with UCL. But so much of those games is like completely configurable. So I guess in that world, like modding becomes it doesn't feel like that major of a you know uh, of a departure because it's like oh just you just allow users to just upload their own configs that's fine you know it's up yeah. to them if they want to create a config that is terrible or like does weird things <laughs> like you know they they made their bed you know yeah um so so maybe it doesn't seem as quite as out there um, i do think that the way the doom and quake were designed it gives you a lot more control as a modder. You know, you can straight up add new guns into the game that have like unique interactions. And so the level, because other games definitely had configuration files that you could go in and modify, but you were just basically changing the values of, you know, numeric values, let's say. Yeah. Whereas in, you know, Quake and Doom, and I've actually never modded Quake and Doom, so I don't know what the tool chain looks like, but it's apparently much more rich. I mean, I, I was thinking of something like Figma. You know, obviously this is like a completely different departure, but they have like a rich like extension ecosystem. And like when you have a web app, that becomes a very interesting question. I think for me is like, how do you, how do you provide a surface that allows people to do interesting things, but also like doesn't fundamentally break your, your app? Because cause in a world where like you're serving the marketplace, I guess you need to make sure that you don't have stuff on there that's like gonna do malicious stuff. Exactly. Oh, there was this very interesting, uh, I mean, this little interaction that they had, which was uh, hilarious which uh, to me, which was that um, the, so in chapter six, we learned that, you know, we talked about how they tried out a bunch of different names because Wolfenstein was another game, you know, made by another developer. Right. Um, eventually they learned that the, company that had made Wolfenstein had collapsed and had allowed the the trademark to lapse but um they actually meet the guy who made that game who apparently is like this six foot seven two three hundred twenty pound guy um I they don't say his height actually but um but I feel like like they were building it up to be like they were this beat down or something like oh like I know that I can't sue you, but I can enforce my copyright with my fist. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I guess he seemed like a gentle, gentle giant. Dude, Silas Warner has nothing to prove. He's an alpha. <laughs> I think, I don't know. I would like to think that that's how I would, how I would react in the same. It's like, I don't know. There's something like a little gross about hyper aggressive defense of, of a copyright. And like, I, I guess on one hand I can I can understand it, but like you could totally see a world where this guy attempted to to sue or like give him a hard time. Oh yeah. Uh, even if the copyright had collapsed. So 
Um, but like, I like the idea that he's just like, you know what? You guys put in a bunch of work. Like, it's a good game. I'm not going to give you guys a hard time. Because yeah. you could wind up with a situation where they still wind up like settling and paying him money because it would just be more expensive to fight the, you know, fight the lawsuit. Totally. Um, no, I mean, good on him for, you know, being awesome about the situation. The bigger man. And speaking of uh, the Wolfenstein game, so they were talking about names, and they mentioned Spear of Destiny, mm. which I guess was one of the Wolfenstein games, I think. Like, it's like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, back when they used to come out with, like, 8,000, sort of, like, similar to DLC, they would just come out with, like, version after version of the same game and have slightly different names. Uh, but, man, I Googled the Spear of Destiny cover art. <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> I, I encourage... Uh, listeners to google this cover art because it's just insane also can i ask you a dumb question yeah is the spear of destiny the spear that stabbed jesus on the cross is that what because if you google spear of destiny you get all sorts of crazy results from google so it's evidently like some crazy thing i have not i have no idea what spear of destiny is i've never heard of that um, okay. Most of I it know seems the, to be either Wolfenstein or Indiana Jones. Um, well, right. And yeah, because I think the latest... Well, so uh, the connection is Nazis were all into like artifact hunting, right? They just basically stole a bunch of artifacts from a bunch of different countries. And they were constantly looking for religious artifacts. Mm-hmm. And so I think the Spear of Destiny is the spear that stabbed Jesus on the cross, and so the Nazis were looking for this Spear of Destiny. And I think that might be a plot point in the new Indiana Jones movie, but I could be wrong about that. I guess that. that would track, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, dude, I mean, just to... Uh, listeners should find this uh, JPEG themselves uh, <laughs> yeah. of, the, of the cover art. But there's a man with just infinity muscles yeah, dude. smashing a glass case containing the, uh, the Spear of Destiny, ostensibly, I guess. Um, which <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, no, and and actually that raised it another point. They said that um, in the last chapter, one of the games was selling really poorly because like the cover, the box art was just abysmal. It was made by the same company that made like designed the like Lipton tea box. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. And and I I looked at it and it did. I think. It's funny because there's so much charm in like the early Commander Keen box art. And then like this just looks so painfully generic and like 1950s like sci-fi movie. Like you, and, and it's all realistic. Like, it, but it's yeah. like the guy, the, you know, command, the drawing of Commander Keen is realistic and hyper generic. And it's like, you could totally see why someone would just like, what the hell is this? Like, a, is this like a, just a, you would think, I would think it was a knockoff, honestly, of the, yeah, of the totally. game. Yeah. Um, but I, I think this is what got me on the whole cover art thing is I, I also Googled that cover art that you're referring to, to see what they were talking about in the book. Yeah. But. So listeners should definitely uh, Google that one as well. Um, but it, it, it also raises an interesting point about how like, I don't know, again, it's a, some of the things that we have talked about before where, cover art is an example of one of those things where it's really important for mm-hmm. the game but like it's not it's not part of building the game itself 
and it's something as a result at least for me that i don't want to do like i'm interested yeah. in the building the game and like making the cover art look nice and and i guess in this case it's like making a making the steam page look really cool you know oh, that's yeah. kind of like the 21st century version of box art but and and maybe this is where what you're talking about like dovetails with what you're talking about before how you need to find if if that's something you don't really want to do and you want to make games you need to find someone who is passionate about that stuff you know uh, yeah so so anyway that's just my my little soapbox about uh why making box art is hard no absolutely don't skimp on your steam page people yeah and build build a community <laughs> while you're building your game build a community get a discord up and running talk to your talk to your fans uh there was one last thing right. i wanted to mention in this chapter which i think is to me this is the fact of this book and we'll see if the subsequent chapters you know provide a new fact that overtakes this but the name doom the name of the video game doom comes from the film the color of money starring tom cruise and i think maybe paul newman <laughs> but it's a martin scorsese film a remake of an old movie called the hustler which i, I want to say also had paul newman in it uh amazing movie you should definitely check it out if you're a martin scorsese fan but the name Doom comes from a Tom Cruise quote in that film, which I just thought was amazing. Well, I don't know. I feel like you've set the scene. Like, let's let's give the like. Explain oh man! I, so I almost want people to like look at the YouTube clip themselves and see Tom Cruise deliver the line, uh, because yeah, the the you know why they're talking about Doom and the color of money. It's it's very interesting. Highly recommend people check it out. Okay. All right. So what should they Google? They just say Google like, like doom, uh, color of money or yeah. Go to YouTube. Yeah. And type in color of money, doom, and it'll pop up. Maybe, right, maybe type right. Tom Cruise. <laughs> okay. And this is funny. Cause this is the second time, uh, Tom Cruise is making a, an appearance in this. Cause didn't, yeah. didn't one of the guys, I don't think, was it Jay? Jay taught Tom Cruise to cocktailing cocktail, like to make a cocktail or something. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, dude, this is just a testament to the fact that you cannot talk about the 80s and 90s without talking about Tom Cruise. Exactly. Exactly. Or he's a part of the fabric. The 2000s or the yeah. 2010s. Dude, I mean, talk about this is why this is why I call Tom Cruise an entity. Like, I feel like certain human beings achieve this like entity status where they're not even a person anymore. They're just like a oh, thing. No. Yeah. And, you know, I think Paul McCartney's there, Tom Cruise, a couple other people. He is just like energy at this point. He, has, yeah. he doesn't have a corporeal form. He is Khufu from ancient Egypt. We need to build a huge pyramid and bury him in it. Dude, I joined that religion. It's called Scientology. Oh yeah, I guess maybe not that, not that one. But yeah. uh, if one, we could, we would create another religion of which uh, Tom Cruise was not a member, who uses Tom Cruise as our god. <laughs> Yep. I'm in 100%. All right. Love it. All right. Well, I will see you next time on Switch Damon for Chapter 8 of Masters of Doom. See you next time, Matt. All right. Bye. Bye.